1: And this is Cliff Schechter. I'm filling in today for the great Leslie Marshall. This would be the Leslie Marshall Show. Thanks for uh, listening. Hopefully, you all uh, had a great time listening to Mark Levine past hour. I'll be taking you through the six o'clock hour. Got some great guests coming up. Well, who do we have? Who do we have? We've got the the wonderful and talented Sam Cedar. We've got uh, Erica Sackin coming on to tell us what's going on with uh, attacks on Planned Parenthood and how. Uh, they're winning the battle right now. We'll hear from Jason Box, who will uh, tell us some, some polling nuggets and uh, research information after that wacky debate the other night. And, uh, and John Aravosis, the great John Aravosis, will join us. Um, he will uh, let us know what's going on digitally. Many, uh, first of all, you got those guys who spammed uh, a number of the uh, polls that Donald Trump's been tweeting out in the middle of the night. Uh, to prove that uh, he's popular. I think among the Russian hacker under 24 set, he's very popular, probably would get elected. Um, Also, a lot of the online hate sites, uh, not hiding uh, their, let's call it, deplorable side. So we had a lot to talk about. Um, I think think I'm seeing that Sam Cedar is actually on the line, so we may just bring Sam on and uh, get going right away.
2: I'm here. How are you, Cliff? pleasure i'm doing well how are you doing bud i'm doing great uh feeling uh you know rested up from the night of festivities the other night uh so uh i'm ready for it
1: did you uh did you play a drinking game of some sort where every time uh trump sniffled you had to chug like a you know i don't know a fifth of bourbon or something find yourself in the hospital
2: well, I was going to say, I have a family, so I wouldn't, uh, that would have, uh, I wouldn't have been allowed to do something like that. That's a little bit risky. No, my drinking game uh, during these things is basically um, I, um, I open a bottle and I start drinking it.
1: That's a hell of a game. I like that game. Easy rules. simple, Yeah, very straightforward. <laughs> it's, uh, it, yeah, exactly. Not many details to it. It's kind of like uh, a Trump policy plan.
2: That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, basically, I'll describe it for you. It's fantastic. And that's all you
1: need to know. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. A lot of people call me saying how great it is. Exactly. Um, so, speaking of the orange one, um, I-, I wanted to get an idea. First, I have to say, it is a little weird me asking you questions. I'm getting used to this here.
2: Yeah. Um, indeed. Well, it's, that, uh, it's fun for me.
1: <laughs> for people that don't know, Sam hosts the Great Majority Report. Great every day except for Friday when he lowers the bar a bit and has me on uh, and he gets to ask me questions. So, this is a, this is a fun uh, turnabout being fair play, if you will.
2: Indeed. Um,
1: I will try to keep up with the example you've set, Sam.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, thanks so much. So far, so good as far as I can tell.
1: <laughs> awesome. Um, so, what do you think from the other night? You actually, so you were on with Chris Hayes, weren't you, on MSNBC? Um, were you on
2: pre-debate? Were you on uh, I was anytime? on pre-debate. I was on pre-debate uh, six p.m. from Hofstra, and then uh, and then uh, rushed back to uh, Brooklyn to cover the debate live uh, at uh, on the Majority Report, like you say, at Majority FM, and then uh, came back onto Hayes on Tuesday night to basically uh, talk about the, the sense of relief that people had. I mean, uh, Chris and I were talking off air uh, Monday night before the debate talking about how much uh, concern there was. And I think, you know, a lot of that concern came from the fact that the the polls were uh, and, and remain uh, a lot closer than uh, people feel comfortable with. and And nobody was quite sure if Donald Trump could do something other than be Donald Trump. And I think there was also a question as to... You know, uh, uh, what would Hillary Clinton do? And I would say, starting with that, she was um, much more relaxed, it seemed to me, uh, during the debate with Trump than she was during the debate with Sanders. And I, and I suspect I a agree. lot of that was that she was not on the defensive about an ideology that she feels comfortable with. You know, I think it's... Um, and I think, you know, you and I certainly understand the experience of, of sort of being attacked from the left and uh, sort of being in a position of proving your bona fides or examining your own belief system. When you're talking to a conservative, uh, if you are a left of center at all, or even if you're in the center, I imagine, um, it's quite clear the ideological uh, ground is pretty stable. Right. You're right. not. Although with that said, and, and maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves. The one time where I thought uh, there was a sense that Trump may be doing better than he did in the rest of the debate. And she less sure-footed is when she was actually being attacked from the left. That's, by right. I, I,
1: Trump I, on trade. that's right. It's funny because while you were saying this, I was thinking exactly that, which is he, he started off. Um, you know, it, it's a, a reminder that if he's got a teleprompter, he can he can maybe stay on message longer. Without one, you, you give him 15 minutes and he starts getting into trouble. That first 15 minutes, when he was hitting, when the two best lines or best sort of you know, uh, plays he made to sort of, uh, to go after her were on on TPP, where he sort of made said, oh no, you supported it, and went after her from the left on that, and went after her for being a 30-year you know, not exactly true, but 25 26 but he, you know his line 30 year politician so you're the insider you want the trade you want the that was when you know in the beginning I still thought she was doing well in the beginning she was a little sort of more stilted but she was more on the defensive and you could tell she didn't really want to talk about that but it's almost like boom you know it's somewhere around the 20 minute mark um she just everything got got turned over and, and I think really it was the game plan Incredibly smart. This guy, you know, Trump is – let's say it, he's not a complicated guy. Um, that's it's right. pretty easy to, to psychoanalyze every deficiency in his mind and everything that's wrong. And it's, it was clear throughout the Republican debates and really anytime since then, question the man's wealth, question if he inherited money from daddy or did it on his right. own. Right. You know, there's, a, there's a number of areas. Question if he's seriously in debt and he's not telling the truth. You know, and she hit him on all of that stuff. She said he's six hundred million dollars in debt, and she hit him on you know his fourteen million dollar loan, which maybe I don't even know if that's true. It may be more, it may be less, but it was in well, the millions. The
2: Journal actually came out with a story. I think it was yesterday, uh, really detailing the fourteen million dollars. And of course, you know the real story, which I think is very is is a lot trickier to um, to articulate in that in that context, is that. Every deal he made that made his name when he was younger was co-signed and guaranteed by his father. Yeah. So it's the functional equivalent. And the political his...
1: connections from his dad and no, you no, know, no, all no. that
2: No, no, I'm stuff. not even talking about political connections. I'm talking literally in the no, same right. way that if your college student uh, goes and tries to get off-campus housing, the landlord is going to say, uh, wait a second, um, I want your parents to sign this uh, lease, too. It's good that your name's there, but what I really care about is your parents there, because they're going to want to pay it. That's the story um, that um, uh, Wayne Barrett uh, tells uh, quite well. He's a reporter from the uh, Village Voice who had followed Trump uh, for years. That's the, the, the real story about his success initially, that nobody who did a deal with Trump, from whether it was in Atlantic City or in New York City, would have signed that document with Donald Trump if Fred Trump hadn't also signed it, they didn't care about Donald point. Trump's involvement. They wanted Fred Trump to securitize essentially and provide the collateral for that. So it wasn't just the loan; it was all the credit that and right. uh that his father had.
1: and, and I mean, and, and she got at that brilliantly and undermined him with that. You know, I'll say quickly: we've got a break; we're coming to a break. But she didn't even, you know. Uh, he, she didn't even mention. I, I don't think the fourteen million counts the three and a half million illegal loan when he bought the chips at one of the casinos later. Yeah. So it ends up coming. getting a lot I bigger. Think
2: that's but coming in the, in the future,
1: yeah, let's yeah, let's talk about that in a second, Sam. We're coming to a break. We'll be right back on the Leslie Marshall Show.
0: Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Eight 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 six Leslie.
1: Again, this is Cliff Schechter filling in for Leslie Marshall on The Leslie Marshall Show. We have Sam Cedar, who should still be on the line unless he's hung up on me. Are you with me, Sam? No,
2: I'm still there. I was uh, texting with my daughter, who uh, wants to leave her after-school program early today, and uh, I had enough time to tell her that she's okay.
1: <laughs> so I am keeping your daughter in after-school. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no.
2: Um, uh, she, I, I gave her the okay to go. But um, uh, so it all worked out for her. Everybody's Apparently, happy. she has a lot of homework. I find that hard to believe. But
1: yeah, well, you'll get to go home and help her with that homework later, won't you? So it'll be indeed. Amazing. I will. Yes, indeed, I will. <laughs> so where were we? We were talking about uh, the orange crush, weren't we? And uh, what went on in this debate? I, you know, look, I I felt pretty good about numbers overall. There definitely seemed to be some momentum in Trump's direction still before the debate which I didn't really understand I kind of understood it when those bad stories were coming out about Hillary and the emails and all that that stuff had slowed down and there even had begun to be some coverage of wow, that Trump actually lies and hey, he has a foundation too that's actually seem- seemingly broken laws by bribing people and by having people pay the foundation who are supposed to you know so that he can avoid taxes for jobs he's done and all sorts of things uh, but it still seemed to be going that way. Now I'm seeing that, you know, so I was nervous. I'll say that about just, it's mm. a big moment, right? I feel like if things basically stay the same, I feel like she'll pull it off, even if it's close. But I was getting nervous. But obviously, it seems since then, <clears throat> these polls are moving in her direction, the ones that have come out, PPP saying 40% more likely to vote for her, you know, and and, and things like that. So, I mean, you feel like uh, from, from your sixth sense of uh, doing this stuff for a while, that that this has a lasting impact, or is this sort of fleeting?
2: Well, I think the real lasting impact is going to be how it uh, forces him to react in the next debate. I mean, because the strategy that... Uh, if, his, if his handlers could actually handle him and Trump could be something other than himself, and maybe he's able to pull that off for the next one. I, I, I feel after watching the first one that it's less likely, but just even assume that it's possible. The fact that he didn't come out in that first debate and basically perform as if he were Mitt Romney, in other words, losing right. the, um, the, the arrogance you know, just even talking over the moderator, I think, probably hurt him with a lot of people. All, all the temperament stuff really did not work out well for him. Uh, and, and you know, there's I think there's three prongs. But he says he has a great with, temperament. With, yeah, and I think that, to a certain extent, like, even the way he handled that question undercut what he needed to do, which was, right. you know, not Wait, say that, uh, you know, the the sun is shining when it's clearly dark outside. You can say, I'm glad the sun is shining, you know, or or, you you can say, like, it doesn't matter that it's dark outside. I'm a beacon of light, and I can bring light to everybody. You know, you can get away with something like that, but you can't just sort of say something that everybody knows. Even your supporters knows is not true. Even if right. you like the fact that you don't have the temperament that she has, you can't claim that you do. And so, um, so, but if he's able to come out next time and just be bland, she is already pocketing this stuff and is going to, to uh, attack him on other fronts. In other words, the, the Clinton campaign, I think has a three pronged strategy from what I understand. One is to show that he is temperamentally unqualified, that he's incompetent, um, that he doesn't study when he needs to study, et cetera, et cetera. The second is that he's just an out-and-out racist and misogynist, which I think he projects whether he is aware of it or not in some respects. And the third is he's a Republican and has some very bad Republican policies. And we saw uh, just a, a hair's breadth of that in the last debate when she talked about trickle-down trickle down economics because this is something that is very much associated with Ronald Reagan, very much associated with someone like Sam Brownback in uh, in Kansas. Yep. And I think what they're going to do the next time out, the Clinton campaign, is I think they're going to continue to find a couple of things. Like that Machado thing at the end of the debate really got under his skin, just like the... Yep. Um, your father, $14 million loan thing. I think they've got one or two more of those to drop in. Uh, and I think they're also going to start to press a little bit more, and maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, on the policy argument.
1: How well, I, I would hope the sort of economic, because as you said, the supply side economics, you know, and you and I have had these conversations on your show on Fridays, I think that was an overarching argument to connect him to bad Republican policy for the last 30, 40 years that ends up always having to be fixed when Bill Clinton comes in and then Barack Obama comes in. And, you know, with these that just doesn't work. And I know you and I talked about maybe wanting her to connect Trump more to the rest of the Republican Party apparatus and their beliefs. And I think she did some of that. She did some of that with global warming, too. A little Um,
2: bit. But, I mean, I'd like to see her go and make uh, Donald Trump own – or disown the Paul Ryan budget. I agree. I mean, because that's the budget we're going to get, right, um, if if he becomes president. I'd like her to say, like, now, Paul Ryan, your buddy, uh, the guy who's going to be sending you legislation that you're going to sign, uh, wants to get rid of Medicare. He wants to cut Social Security. And, uh, yeah. you know, how, how dare you? You're going to be fine. You and I are going to be fine. And then Donald Trump then has to either accept... That mantle or reject it. And if he rejects it, then all of a sudden Paul Ryan has to step in and say, well, wait a second. And, you me. And,
0: and,
2: yeah, I mean, I think that's the kind of mayhem you want to unleash on his side at this
1: point. I, I agree. I think that's a, the perfect strategy try to get them to fight with each other because he's pretending to be more of a populist and they're sort of letting him get away with it on trade. It's 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 easier to get away with it on trade because there are some other Republicans here and there who who have moved in a populist direction, <clears throat> and it's you know it's one issue in and of itself. I Even mean, it's it's an important one, but he can't really do that on too many issues, right? You're allowed to have your one or two issues, like McCain had campaign finance reform or whatever, you know. And so uh, he starts doing that on Social Security, and Medicare too, as well as then it starts he's breaking with the party and he has to worry about that. So I agree. I would like her to, to. I mean, I was really glad she talked about paid family leave and pointed out that she's, you know, her plan is different than his, and um, which his is almost nothing. Um, but I, I, I want her to start drawing those lines more clearly. I thought she started off doing that, and then, but you know, listen, we. Uh, she, it's not to say I, she did an amazing job, and and uh, and got under his skin. And I think you do with some of the with some of those economic arguments, but I also think. She can kind of push some of the. You know, remember, no mention of Trump University, right? No mention of the. I don't remember a mention of the Trump Foundation and all the various problems with that that we're finding out more and more about. So there's still fertile ground to get under his skin and say, you know, uh, and and hit him and say, well, why why is it that you can't pay your taxes? I guess you don't have as much money as you claim, and you got to hide it in your foundation. Just you know, go at him. We only have another minute. Sam, so te- so, what what do you take from this in the end?
2: Well, I mean, I think the bottom line is she's got the, she's got room to just change incrementally. I think, uh, if, but he is going to be more desperate, and so he may bring out, uh, he may try and talk about Bill Clinton's infidelities or, or who knows what. But uh, the time is not on his side, and if the trends yeah. are uh, you know back in her favor, then all I right, think we'll Sammy, start we're about to about more to head attention. off.
1: Listen, man, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for your insight. Welcome back, folks. This is Cliff Schechter on The Leslie Marshall Show. I'm filling in today for Leslie, who is off hopefully doing something fun. Uh, had a great conversation with Sam Cedar just now about the debate. We're going to switch gears just a bit, uh, and we're going to talk to Erica Sackett, who is the Director of Communications at Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Erica, are you with me?
3: I am. Happy to be here. And just to note, it's actually Planned Parenthood Action Fund.
1: So I'm already screwing things up. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) It's always good to mess it up right at the beginning. You know, you get that out of the way and you can move on. Um, (laughs) Planned Parenthood Action Fund, of course. C4, I believe that is. It Um,
4: is.
1: Yeah, you know, you do this stuff for long enough. So uh, I want to talk to you, Erica, because there's a lot that you guys are up to this election season, which shouldn't shock any of us because of the assault I don't know what else to call it. That's been led against Planned Parenthood by right-wing crazies, opportunists who like to take it, who like to work with right-wing crazies uh, for political gain and the rest of the gang. Um, but we, you know, to start off, uh, let's just say before we get to anything you guys are doing, um, you know, the news from the courts has been pretty good over the last couple of months. Am I correct?
3: Yeah, it's been fantastic. Um, And, you know, next month, Planned Parenthood will be celebrating its 100th anniversary. um, And we've just had some incredible wins this year. Absolutely. Um, everything from the Supreme Court striking down Texas's abortion restrictions uh, to recently President Obama actually suggested a rule that would—it's really a common-sense move to protect women's access to basic reproductive health care. And now, obviously, Hillary Clinton is running on one of the most progressive uh, Democratic party platforms in history, uh, one that makes it clear that access to reproductive health care is essential and also would repeal the Hyde Amendment. So there's pretty good momentum going on.
1: No, I know. I mean, that's a very sort of explicit case for equality that she's running on, which is awesome. Because it's not to say that we haven't had great candidates in the past who, who ran on some good platforms. But she's very, very much, especially, let's say, talking about Hyde, which is it's interesting you brought that up. Because on uh, Friday, we're going to have the 40th anniversary of the Hyde Amendment. Um, which is not a good thing. We're not celebrating it. Do you want to maybe tell people a little bit more about the Hyde Amendment, so they'll understand its its unique place in you uh, know, I guess, our legislation?
3: Absolutely. Um, so the Hyde Amendment uh, has been around for forty years, and it uh, says that that no federal funds can go towards provision of abortion except for in very dire circumstances, so if a woman's life is at stake, uh, and in some other small instances as well. Um, And the issue that comes up with that is that it disproportionately affects poor women, and it also disproportionately affects women of color. Um, What ends up happening is that those who rely on federal programs like Medicaid, um, those who rely on Title X for health care, and people who are in the armed forces um, or depend on any other federal program for their health care aren't able to get access to abortion covered and thus have to pay out of pocket.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, you know, the fact that women can't get abortions via Medicaid, um, it, it, it's it's just discriminatory. It's flat out discriminatory. And what's really always bothered me about it, I mean, obviously, I'm very pro-choice. And I guess while we're talking about this, I might as well disclose that I'm on the board of Planned Parenthood of Ohio. So we can get that out of the way. Um, but, you know, it, 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 even more than the fact that this is discriminatory, it's that it's unique in that a group of people, maybe based upon their religion or whatever else, are, are allowed to say, you know, I don't approve of abortion even though it's a, it's a key part of women's health care, and I don't want my money going to that. And yet I don't have that right to, to say, you know, I don't like the, that you're spending my money on X, Y, or Z. Do I? Right? I mean there are plenty of things I don't like that the government spends my money on, but I have no choice in that. And uh, I mean, so it's sort of in that way, I've always found it to be completely absurd.
3: You know, exactly. And I think that the thing that really we always talk about when we talk about the Hyde Amendment, too, is that what this means is that those who rely on safety net programs, those who have the least, are ending up paying the most. And what we know is that making it more difficult for women to access abortion doesn't change The fact that they need one doesn't change the fact that they'll look for ways to get one. It just makes it less accessible and thus less safe, Um, which at the end of the day, I would hope at least we can all agree that women should be able to be kept safe and healthy and have access to good medical
1: care. I would hope so, too. Um, And I think of people who are on the conservative side of this debate, at least, you know, they, they say the words, but, again, judge how that – they still think that they're experts on what that medical care should be. Um, and then, of course, you know, they they think abortion is such a horrible thing. But all the same people who, who seem to say that are also fighting against uh, access to birth control, which, uh, you know, we had, we know happens to prevent what leads to someone needing to have an abortion. So, you know, I mean, all, all of the various states – I mean, Colorado had that big experiment um, – Right with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, w- with uh, free uh, birth control that was given, and, and we always find the abortion rates go down. In um, Texas, I think, recently there was something about it going in the opposite direction because, of course, they've restricted birth control. So uh, you know, it's, it, they try to make it about abortion, but it seems to me it's really just about they get to judge your way of life, you being one. Um, right I mean, they don't approve of whatever it is people are doing, and so too bad, you deal with the consequences yourself. Um, at least that's the way it feels to me.
3: Yeah, we've and we've definitely seen attacks at the state level, on uh, not just access to abortion, although those have, have doubled and tripled across the country as well, um, but uh, on that access to reproductive health care, on access to birth control, on access to really basic preventive services like even cancer screenings uh, and STD testing and treatment. Um, and as a result, people end up less healthy. Um, And, you know, their health is detrimentally affected. Um, I will add, though, that, you know, at the same time that we're seeing these attacks, we're seeing incredible momentum fighting back. As you mentioned at the beginning, we have had a number of state victories striking down these, I'm sorry, court victories striking down these unfair laws. Um, And, you know, just the Supreme Court case alone, when they struck down those Texas restrictions, it stopped about five other abortion restrictions in their tracks. Um, and we've also really seen time and time again that these attacks are just flat out unpopular with voters and with people across America. Um, As I'm sure you know, one in five women uh, will end up getting health care from a Planned Parenthood in her lifetime, Uh, and even more than that, know somebody who's gone to Planned Parenthood, you know, have, have had a family member or a friend who've turned to Planned Parenthood health centers for care. So for Millions of people across the country, when they see politicians attacking this basic health care, it really feels to them like it's an attack on an essential part of their lives.
1: Yeah. And I mean, look, they they. To, to defend that, they come out with these ridiculous lines like community health care, health centers can take care of it, which, of course, they can't, Then the large number of people that would have to go to them when they try to defund Planned Parenthood. As we know, these ridiculous videos, that the only people that, that in the end, uh, are being prosecuted over these, the, that ridiculous video that I won't even go into the details of are the people that made the video <laughs> for, for the various illegal things that they did. Every state is exonerated and said, oh, you know, Planned Parenthood is beyond reproach. But this seems to be something that gets the right wing base fired up and and sadly, like xenophobia and certain other issues that you know these guys don't much care how they get people to the polls as long as they get them there um, but you you know I, I feel strongly about this in general. I feel strongly because I live in Ohio you know you as you know here we've had seventeen different restrictions passed during the time John Kasich has been governor here mm. Um and we had an important appellate state court case that overturned the restrictions here as being arbitrary and you, know, and, you know, posing an undue burden, much like that Supreme Court case with Texas. So, I mean, that was a huge victory and a morale builder here to say, you know, you can't come up with these ridiculous, uh, you know, uh, qualifications and say that uh, the, wall, the, the hallway has to be this wide for people to walk through it. Or you need a transfer agreement even for non-surgical abortion, you know, whatever it might be. Um, that they're just – clearly they're just trying to overregulate irony, considering Republicans say they're against regulation, but they're trying to regulate abortion clinics and, and Planned Parenthood out of existence. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty glad that that knocked that down and they failed here. Um, I want to talk to you, Erica, more about what you guys are doing politically to fight back right now. We've got a uh, quick break coming up in about – well, right now. So we'll be back with Erica Sacken of Planned Parenthood Action Fund in a few minutes. Once again, this is Cliff Schechter. I am sitting in for for Leslie Marshall on The Leslie Marshall Show. Thanks for listening. Right now we're talking to Erica Sacken of Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Are you with me, Erica? I'm here, Cliff. Fantastic. So where were we? We were talking about some of the great court cases that have overturned some of these silly regulations meant just to be a tax on women's health care choices. Um, I want to now sort of talk a little bit about the political, what you guys are doing maybe in – battleground states be it around senate races or or, um, congressional races and of course there's there's that orange menace uh, at the top of the republican ticket who uh, has talked about uh, locking women up for exercising their constitutional rights so what what uh, what are you guys up to
3: that's a great question, Cliff. Uh, we're up to a lot, actually. Uh, so this year, Planned Parenthood Votes, Planned Parenthood Action Fund, and you know our political and advocacy groups across the country are running our largest electoral program ever in the history of Planned Parenthood Action Fund organizations. Uh, we're great. going to be spending and we have been spending about $30 million in now six key target states. So that's North Carolina, Florida – I'm sorry, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania – New Hampshire, Nevada, and Wisconsin. And we are uh, making sure that we're talking to voters, uh, especially the voters that matter, so voters who haven't made their minds up yet or voters who are less likely to vote to make sure they know what's at stake in this election. We're also uh, reaching about 5 million voters with our grassroots outreach. Um, We are sending mailers. We're making phone calls. And, of course, we're going up on air with paid ads on television and in the digital space.
1: That's great. Yep, and and you know, look. Thankfully, there are a lot of uh, I know a lot of good good uh, members of the male species like myself who are pro-choice, um, but I assume that you're targeting also, being that that uh, one of the you know, college-educated women, suburban women, women call them what you will, are uh, one of the large groups that that uh, the, the Democrats you know, in general and Hillary Clinton specifically seem to be targeting and successfully winning over. And, you know, there are some, it seems like, who are still kind of undecided. They've been voted. Maybe they voted for Mitt Romney. Maybe they voted for Republicans in the past um, and didn't realize the level of attacks on choice would happen the last four years. But I would think with what Donald Trump said and this collection of characters he has around him, you know, that that you know, the, this issue becomes part of, like, a broad group of issues that maybe bring women to the polls, right? Family leave, um, you know, equal pay, issues like that.
3: Absolutely. Um, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing that we see is that it's not just women but also men who care about these issues. And a very important group of voters care about these issues a lot, which is millennial voters. Um, actually, a recent Fox poll showed that, the majority of millennial voters consider themselves pro-choice and really strongly support access to safe legal abortion. Um, So I think absolutely these issues resonate with with those key voters in this race. Um, And absolutely, Donald Trump has made it clear that he is not going to fight for women um and not going to stand up for their rights to access safe legal abortion access reproductive health care etc aside from just his punishment comment um which is on its own abhorrent um he has said time and time again that he wants to appoint justices to the Supreme Court who would overturn Roe v Wade um that he is the best chance to overturn Roe v Wade um and that he you know has Nominated Mike Pence to be his vice presidential running mate uh, <laughs> who you know Mike Pence is kind of the originator of the legislation to defund Planned Parenthood, introducing it all the way back in two thousand and seven
1: Wow, he was ahead of his time on that one huh <laughs> yeah unfortunately thats that terrible um, no that's true. people forget because everything can get lost in the you know in all the crazy things that Donald Trump says but Mike Pence may not say the crazy things, but the policies he's supported for years are insane. I mean, people are now forgetting, you know, he's getting himself in trouble, uh, you know, in uh, Indiana as governor, fighting about, you know, who has to make what cakes, because God forbid somebody make a cake for a gay wedding who's benefited from the roads that we built, for example, and the education system we provide. Um, And obviously he's done the same thing on abortion rights, and, uh, I mean, it, it, if he's the top advisor to Trump, people should be very scared of where that social issues agenda will go, right? Exactly. I mean, he was part of that Republican study group in the House, far-right social conservatives. Um, so that's, a, that's actually a great point. Um, and in, in, is it uh, – did a little birdie tell me you guys may be doing some polling and there may be some promising results? Are you able to share anything? <laughs>
3: Absolutely. So, you know, this election isn't just about the presidential race, but also the Senate. And we have a very good chance of taking back the Senate uh, with people who will fight for women's access through reproductive health care instead of against it. Um, and I can't tell you too much because I don't want to step on our own thunder here. But uh, tomorrow will be uh, p- public policy polling will be coming out with uh, some numbers showing just how much voters in some of those key states like New Hampshire and North Carolina and Nevada care about the candidates who uh, want to defund Planned Parenthood
1: well that's usually important too because those are some pretty important states and and uh, you know the 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 path uh, well you, you, what you're saying is important in general I mean it's not as you said it's not just all about Donald Trump I mean obviously the most important thing when we're missing a Supreme Court justice because the Republican Senate won't do its job is you know the, that's the nightmare scenario if he wins and has a, a Senate majority and they're able to put Somebody Scalia-like on there, but you know these individual Senate races are incredibly important, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, there's some progressives who are in great who are in a great position right now. Russ Feingold looks to be pretty good. Um, you know, you've got uh, Tammy Duckworth looks to be in good shape, but in a number of these these states you mentioned, Nevada, there's a key pro-choice woman, terrific, who's running mm-hmm. in New Hampshire. Wonderful pro-choice woman on you know Democrat running. Um, and these are going to be close races, right? So, I mean, I assume this poll hopefully will will help them.
3: Absolutely, and I I think you see a lot of these candidates know that the votes that they've taken, the positions that they've taken, aren't popular with voters. So especially in uh, New Hampshire, you see Kelly Ayotte, running ads saying that she, you know, has fought for women's health, et cetera. But when you look at her record, you see she's done the opposite. She's voted time and time again to defund Planned Parenthood. And actually, when she was attorney general, she kept prosecuting a case that would uh, try to keep people from, you know, getting key reproductive health care, um, something that most other folks in the state opposed. Um, And, you know, she's even made it harder to access birth control or tried to. Um, so you know, when you look at at who they are and what they've voted for, it becomes clear that they're not going to fight for women. Um, but you know, they know that that's unpopular, and so are going to do everything they can to cover up the records.
1: Yeah, if Ayotte hangs in there, I think that may be one of the ones that gets me the most angry, because it's interesting you said that she's doing that on choice. She's also done that. You know, she voted against universal background checks on guns, which also, considering domestic violence, is another issue that's very important to women. States without universal background checks have like a 40% higher incidence of the guns being used in domestic violence incidents. And she uh, is you know run ads, but she came out in favor of some you know, half, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the word, but some you know, not, let's just call it a ridiculous kind of half measure in background checks and now claim that she supported the real thing, which she didn't. So that kind of seems to be the way she's running her whole campaign, is pretending she's for all the things people actually want when she's not for any of them. Um, Sounds a little bit assume, like Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, and and, uh, and she, of course, wait, she didn't endorse Donald Trump, but she supported him, I She think? supports is him, that, exactly, yeah. I don't understand that difference. What? Is, that, <laughs> is there a difference there? I don't know.
3: Uh, um, I would guess no, but my guess is that she also hopes you think there
1: is. Yes, yes. Well, we certainly then uh, have to make it our business to stop her. So, if, if people wanna wanna who are listening wanna help um, in these races in these key states you're talking about and what you guys are doing to protect women's health, what do you think? What what's the best way they can they can uh, support um, you know the the C four over there, the Action Fund, or other divisions of Planned Parenthood who are doing great work.
3: Yeah, they should absolutely get involved. Um, They can go to PlannedParenthoodActionFund.org to find out more about each candidate's record and to see how else they can get involved in their local area. Um, I encourage everybody to go out and knock on doors, make phone calls, talk to everyone you know to make sure that they all know what's at stake in this election and what each candidate stands for. Because this is one election that is way too important to sit out.
1: Yeah, again, folks, you know, Donald Trump in and of himself is, is a crazy person who is incredibly anti-choice and kind of anti-anything that is good for the country. But you're looking at uh, U.S. Senate races that are so important, and they're, that's going to, frankly, that's going to determine whether Merrick Garland or someone of his ilk gets on the court and breaks a 4-4 tie or God knows who they choose to put on the court. I mean, it's all right there, so – Listen, Erica, I want to say thank you so much for joining us uh, and, and enlightening us a bit. And I hope everybody will do their best to fight for women's rights in this coming election. Thank you. This is Cliff Schechter. This will be our second hour of my filling in for Leslie Marshall on the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, we had some great discussions in the past hour, just got done talking about the importance uh, of getting out and voting and what Planned Parenthood is doing to, to make sure that people that support equal rights and uh, reproductive justice get out and do that. What we've got to figure out right now is uh, where those polls are, and so uh, to do that, I've invited a very special man along to join us. You've heard him on this uh, station past times when I've been on. Jason Boxed, I believe Mister Boxed is with us. Hey, man! I'd like to. uh, Hey, Jason. I'd like to give you your title too, but I don't know what your new title is. So, Uh, well,
0: uh, now I'm an executive vice president, Cliff. Dude, (laughs)
1: isn't that where like all the big bonuses come in? That's what they
0: tell me, but I'm like a year away from that. So I'll let you know when it happens.
1: Sweet, sweet. When we get closer to it, you know what I mean? I want to hear all about it.
0: Absolutely.
1: And, uh, you know, And then we can pay to play for you to come on here.
0: Boy, uh, we're not doing that already.
1: <laughs> ah, I joke, of course. And seriously, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is off topic, what I was going to ask. I saw terribly that, that I haven't gotten to read the details because I've been on the radio. There was a shooting in South Carolina is that was that anywhere near where you're from in South Carolina Did you see it uh, no, no,
0: yeah I also just thought it's not that uh, that shooting was in Anderson uh, I'm from Columbia but uh, you know it's a small state man and I'm I, I can promise you that there are a lot of folks from my hometown who uh, who are one or two steps connected uh, removed from that. Uh, you know it just uh it's uh, you know this is actually something that Trump said in, in, in the debate and it was a little flip but uh you know the list just goes on and on and on and it's pretty unbelievable
1: yeah I mean it's 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 incredible and it's terrible and it seems like we're going through a, a I mean these things are always going on but it seems like we've had a couple of the school shootings again recently like this yeah. one was at school which is just well I'll spend a lot more talking time talking about that and some other other broadcasts, um, I wanted to talk to you about what uh, transpired or has transpired since because I didn't get it. Um, I got it while the the media was obsessed with Hillary's emails that that you know maybe a month ago now three weeks there's about two three week period when she was at the highest in her polls right before that in, in you know after the convention and everything and then suddenly we had to get back to the stupid coverage of an issue where yes no one's saying she's blameless. But when you compare it to just, you know, a one-fifth of what Donald Trump has done, um, that is pretty clearly stuff that's illegal that he's never gotten in trouble for. Certainly (laughs) immoral, unethical, disgusting, and I could go on and on. And so – you know then her numbers are falling but i thought when that coverage sort of slowed down because the media was so shamed by so many people and they started calling trump out for his lies that that would kind of end it but it seemed like she kept sliding going into the debate do you have any idea why that was
0: yeah momentum's a really hard thing to, to fight off man it's um you know i think if you look at these two candidates uh and you can you can actually look at the tracking polls uh and there's some great websites that do this and you look at the ebbs and flows in terms of uh the distance between these two guys in the polling. And I think one, and I don't remember who said this, but it was very smart is that the nature of these candidates, Donald Trump, uh, that Hillary Clinton does really well with, I'm going to use a soccer analogy. She does really well with set pieces. Yep. Uh, and, and it's in that more free for all that free form part of the cam- of the campaign. Trump does really well. So I think post, Post-election, post-conventions where uh, I, I think almost indisputably Hillary uh, did better than, uh, than Donald, uh, you began to see that free-form uh, piece come out, and Donald began to close that gap. And I think that what we saw the other night after this debate is that the maxim is true: that when she said time to prepare, when they are compared side by side or virtually side by side, she, she seems to do better, and I think that actually bodes well. Uh, at least for the next, yeah three or four weeks.
1: Yeah, I thought that that's – I couldn't agree more with that analysis. I actually was looking forward to the debates. I know some people were saying – it doesn't mean I wasn't nervous, of course, but, you know, a lot of people were saying that uh, – I heard many of my friends who work in this business saying, you know, they're worried. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't throw up on himself. He wins. So that, that could go either way. <laughs> of course, with him, with the kind of food I've seen him eat, when the way he takes down that, that Kentucky fried chicken, throwing with up a, on himself. With, has a, with got, a fork and a knife, though, with a fork and a knife. That's true. Very classy. Very classy. Very, very classy. Um, big league. So with, he does that while he's staring at the big... The big uh, portrait of himself on the wall that he <laughs> used his foundation to buy. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm digressing too much here. But, but um, you know, I mean, the 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 sort of what you're saying, the set pieces. I found she's done very well in debate. So even though the expectations were low for him. You know, that is, debates a very specific kind of they're, – they're, they're split up. into certain certain sort of divisions. And we're now we're going to talk about foreign policy. And this, and when there's sort of specific topics and a specific way to handle it and everything, I've always found that instead of like speeches where sometimes she's not as good, that she's been very good in debates. So, you know, I, I'll admit I didn't know it was going to go as well as I think it went in the end, whereas he was terrible and she was fantastic. So there was a huge contrast. But I was feeling good about it. So, you know, okay, we come out of it. As you said, momentum maybe kept with Trump. That clearly seems to have ended the momentum. I don't know what you've seen. I've seen two polls. Uh, Was it the morning consult polls at Monmouth or one of those that showed her she had gained four points. It was now up on him. uh, Was it plus three when you include the minor party candidates? And she gained six points in a Reuters one. Um, I'm not sure what else is out there. So maybe you've seen other things or seen other data you can share with me. Yeah, know?
0: That, that Reuters poll is actually pre-debate. Uh, the, the second oh, okay. poll, I've also seen, too, This uh, and you're right, it was the morning consult was the first one, and it shows her with a three- or four-point lead, and that's up just from a couple of days ago where she was up two points. The other poll that I saw, and there's no tracking here because they didn't do it, uh, uh, they didn't do it, uh, the last one they did was back in the conventions. Uh, a couple of, I, I count many Republicans among my friends, and uh, Echelon Insights, which is... Uh, uh, Kristen Soltis Anderson and Patrick Graffini, uh, two very smart, uh, very, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're republic they're the Republicans who I feel bad for in this campaign. Uh, they put out a <laughs> poll that had, uh, Hillary up plus five. So I, I think there, were, I think in just, I, I think we could argue fairly confidently that whatever momentum Trump had was stopped, at least at the national level, um, all the, the there were four scientific polls that came out amongst the thirty after the debate. Those all show uh, Hillary winning by a pretty large margin. What what I really am waiting for, Cliff, is uh, the first state polls to come out. The ones that typically lag behind the national polls because they're not That's quite as right. sexy. That's those are the polls that I'm really looking for because this is this had moved into some fairly uncomfortable territory at the state level for Hillary. Uh, still. Uh, favored to win, still looking good, but not anywhere where she was, you know, close to where she was a couple of months ago. And so that's what I'm really looking for, uh, those state polls to come out.
1: Yeah, I mean, she'd gotten to a point where, at least with the polls we were looking at, um, I'd heard some that, that internally they had some better numbers, but with what was out there publicly, she had just enough to win. It was sort of this interesting point of where she was ahead by at least what we would consider decent amounts and enough to get over 270. Like up to three or four points in those states.
0: Yeah, um, the, um, right before the debate, there there were arguably nine toss-up states, and Trump actually the night before the debate, Trump led in five of them. Now that wasn't enough to get him to two hundred and seventy, but that was enough to get him uncomfortably close. And right, she uh, was. I think, you know, these yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Were really big for her.
1: Yeah, because what I'd seen, she you you had her basically above two hundred and seventy. And there was this, like this four point gap, you know, or whatever it was, to get from like a, you you had you then jumped from the states that she's you know at least somewhat solidly was ahead in, and suddenly she was either tied or behind everything else. There was nothing that she was like up by one or two, right? So it was this, like
0: the, yeah, everything's close, ahead. man. The, the biggest lead was six points among all of those states, uh, all those swing states. The biggest lead in either direction was six points. Things had gotten really tight.
1: All right. Well, listen, we're about to go to a quick break. Jason, let's come back and geek out some more on some of these poll numbers, see where we're at. Awesome. Welcome back and good afternoon. This is Cliff Schechter filling in for Leslie Marshall on The Leslie Marshall Show. We're talking some polling with Jason Boxt, researcher extraordinaire. Jason, are you with me, man?
0: I still am here, my friend. All right. We still got you.
1: Uh, you know, while we were, we were taking the break there, I looked at, I guess it's an NBC News poll uh, of what of what people thought of the debate. Fifty-something percent thought, you know, Hillary won. Twenty percent thought Trump. I and mean, it was all very good. But one interesting thing jumped out at me. Only 11% of women said their opinion of Trump had improved after the debate. Now, I want to ask you, who are those 11%? Do they actually exist?
0: Man, I could make some really crass joke a la Trump <laughs> about maybe those are the ones who are who are hacking computer systems, but that's probably not great. Nice. So
1: <laughs> That's true. Oh, speaking of hacking computer systems, talking about polling, it seems that he won the instant online vote in terms of 99% of the Russian hacker vote that went into various <laughs> online polls voted for him. So he did, he did well among that contingent. He's, he, he did. He's, he's a, a tremendous candidate on online,
0: unscientific polls. Yes,
1: yeah, right. He's like the he's like the Vladimir Putin, if you will. If you will. Uh, um, so back to actual real polls that are scientific and reflect at least somewhat what people actually think. Um so now we, now we, we know the, uh, the, the uh, momentum clearly seems to be with Hillary right now. We have to wait a few days. I mean, usually these things, there's a lagging. You pointed out state polls. Obviously, some of the ones I've been looking at before, you know, Florida seemed very close, maybe tied even. Ohio, she was down. Iowa, I think she may have been enough down. I'm not sure she's coming back in Iowa. I mean, it's not that she needs it. Um, North Carolina seemed incredibly close, too. It seems like maybe a few of those are, are one, you know, I mean, bigger states, obviously. Um, I don't know. What would you do? You're a political strategist, or at least you were once, right?
0: Uh, well, you know, I, pre- I, I pretended to be one. Okay. Pretend for me. Sure. Um, so you're right. Uh, th- there were a number of different places where she is uh, well within striking distance one way or the other. Iowa is one of those weird places where... Trump just uh, – I mean, look, if, if Trump is, is killing it with the non-college-educated white male, well, then uh, uh, yeah. no offense to my friends in Iowa. But that's that's obviously – Not helpful. Like, you know, that's a place where he's going to do well. I, I think there's one thing I would just say before I go into the states is that I think it's important to remember that uh, under the best of circumstances, a debate's not going to shift the vote by more than, like, two to four points. So yep. – Uh, That being said, within the states, there's a lot more uh, room to grow. And I I think if I were being a strategist, I would look at the overlay between those states where uh, Hillary and and, uh, Trump are fighting and where you've got Senate races that are really close. So places like Florida, places like Nevada, places like North Carolina, Carolina, where the, the race is really close and that there are Senate candidates who could benefit from... Uh, a lot of money being dumped in by the various IEs and PACs and the DN and the DS and all those guys.
1: Um, That uh, makes a lot of sense because obviously if she gets there and doesn't have the Senate, then, uh, you know, we we run into the same problems we've run into after midterm elections with both her husband and with uh, Obama.
0: Yeah. And that outlook is, you know, that, uh, even since we, we last talked, Cliff, you know, that outlook is uh, more and more perilous. I think most pundits now are, are, calling it basically a coin flip on whether or not on whether or not it flips, but it really is close. I mean if you look at uh, and I'm just pulling up I of course obviously did my uh, my due diligence, the you know, North Carolina is just a flat out toss up and that's that's gotta give heartburn uh, to to the
1: Republican Party. On the flip side enough of I they're know, dumping like eight million dollars in there from what I read, so clearly uh, it is it's
0: amazing. It's amazing. And then you take a place, you know, you last time you and I talked you would look to, you would point out as Missouri as a place where you kind of liked what you were seeing. And I, I think I played the role, I was the poo poo artist, right? I, I, I said, you know, don't really know Roy Blunt's a really tough character. He's such a poo poo artist. I'm a poo poo artist. Sorry, go ahead. Um, it's, uh, it's my nine year old talking. The technical term, right? It is another technical term. But uh, Jason Kander has really turned things around there. And you've got a race now that's a coin flipper, even even showing him with a slight lead. So uh, I, I do think there are just lots of opportunities here. And, again, once the state polls start coming out, you know, this is one, I think this is one of those institutional advantages that we have over the Republican Party because Trump and the RNC are not on the same page, and Trump and the Republican Senate Campaign Committee are not on the same page, whereas I think Hillary and the and the DNC and the DSCC are very much on the same page, and I think they're going to create some, there's some overlap there that I think they can take advantage of uh, in the coming weeks.
1: That would be great, because it, it seems to me that Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, and Nevada are also in coin flip territory.
0: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah,
1: I thought for a little bit we kind of we kind of had lean Democrat in those two, but IOte and Toomey seem to have gotten back into it enough that those are tied. The first one really bothers me, because... As I was saying to a previous guest, I find Io to be so fake. She, you know, basically runs commercials saying how she supports background checks and women's rights, and then you find out that she supported some bill that was like, you know, it was that in name and nothing else. She opposes the actual real stuff, so she's trying to fool people, and I'm hoping she does not. But um, that's my own pet peeve. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, you know, the, so some of the after the debates again, and we don't know because again, this can be fleeting, as we know. It's, there were a few polls showing a seven-point advantage for generic advantage for Democrats. When you hit seven, doesn't that often start translating into you can win large numbers of House races? Yeah, six,
0: seven, six, seven, eight is really where uh, strategists start getting excited. Uh, I mean, I think typically uh, you look at that number, and uh, because the congressional approval is so low uh, that – uh, i I don't recall the last time I saw the that generic uh congressional ballot any more any more than like a a six or a five or six point difference when you get to seven eight nine you actually can start uh dreaming of you know uh a wave election under the christmas tree and uh i I've been saying for uh, two years now that i the era of wave elections is over because of gerrymandering and because of uh uh the and it, well a lot of reasons but uh, and I still don't believe that Democrats can take back the house but if that number that that congressional generic ballot, if that gets to seven or eight or nine, then you talk about uh, then you can maybe allow yourself to dream a little bit but I, I, it would be, you know we, we have to take back some seats before we take back all of those seats. Uh, and I think any positive gain in an, ele- in an election year like this, I think it's going to be good for the Democrats going into the next election cycle.
1: Yeah, that's the way I see it, because I think what's been shaken up a little bit is you have in some districts that are are larger, more Hispanic, and that have a larger number in suburban ones of of white college-educated voters – you see that there are some opportunities. I mean, I think of the Dara Issa seat where it mm-hmm. seems to be very close. There's, you know, there's seats we could win that maybe we couldn't have. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not necessarily what's going on in, in terms of overall. It's just key parts of the electorate that Trump's offended. That, so I don't know. Listen, I think I think that's the music telling us it's time to go. But <laughs> as always, buddy, thanks so much for joining and enlightening, and uh, we'll have you back on soon. All right, bud. Talk to you soon. Take care. that revolution, Um, and someone who has a lot of knowledge about some of the things going on online these days in hate communities and other places, so without further ado, let's bring in John Aravosis. if you're there. I am here. Well, that's excellent. How are you, John?
4: I'm good, good, just working away, cold day in New York finally, finally becoming fall a little bit out here.
1: That's good. You're not sweating too much from the humidity? That's always a good sign, right? (laughs)
4: No, it really is. It's like it's like the first day of fall weather, where it's just sort of overcast, a little cool. You know, it just it feels almost like Thanksgiving, except that of course it's September. But uh, yeah, starting to feel like fall a little bit finally. I got
1: it. I'll take it. Um, so, listen. I want to talk a little bit about the hate groups next, but why don't we start off talking about uh, our our Russian bot trolley friends? Because you yeah. know more about this than than almost anyone. Um, at least that I'm. That I follow on Twitter and that I listen to. And it's interesting because a a few reporters I just saw that had challenged Trump about it. And he said, you know, 300 people coming and saying they're liking it. It's a lot of people. You can't dismiss that. I mean, he clearly doesn't understand what these things are, which is kind of funny or kind of terrifying. But why don't you explain a little bit more about what we think happened with those trumped up Trump polls?
4: Well, you know, I mean, there's a couple different things going on here. I mean, I, A, we've got Trump claiming that all of these crazy online polls, and I think you probably explained it to folks that basically you just slap a poll on a website and say, vote, you know, and 100,000 people come and keep clicking. You know, everybody in your audience probably done this where, you know, click again, click again. Click like again, refresh, refresh, again. refresh. You know, <laughs> I'm from Chicago. You know, we vote early and often, you know, and it's, it's just <laughs> running up the They're not real polls. Now, what some people are not concerned about because they're fake polls anyway, you know, but what's. Some people are saying is there's some there was some analysis as to whether some of the Russian bots that are out there, basically these you know these fake accounts that the Russians have set up, especially on Twitter, but in other places, and we do know they exist. I mean, people have done lots of research into this. Uh, one guy in particular, I think his name is Adrian Chen, had uh, done a really interesting story recently about. Over 100 accounts he's been following of Russians online, and they're on Twitter and other places. And about a year or two ago, they were Russian, all right, you know, pure Russian Twitter accounts. About a year ago, they suddenly turned into pro-Donald Trump, you know, America, (laughs) hell yeah, these kind of just Americana Southerners, Trump supporters. But a year and a half ago, they were Russians. So, we know there 's this this army online of basically these fake bots as you call it you know robots that are are uh, real people that are just pretending to be trump supporters and yeah I think there 's some concern that they jumped into these online polls and helped pump Trump, but even if they didn 't they 're fake polls they're they 're literally the you know do you like x, y, and z, and you push the button ten times and you voted ten times i mean they're not there was actually another poll that just came out I was reading my Twitter feed about ten minutes ago, yet another poll that came out that showed trump People thought Trump was – 21 percent thought Trump won, and some 50 percent thought Hillary won the debate the other night.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's just that was the NBC one. Right. I, I don't – I mean, is, why do these places still put up these ridiculous polls if they don't show anything? I guess they attract people to the page. It's about clicks, maybe? I, you know,
4: you, yes, actually. You know, yeah. I mean, even in the Trump case, right, we know a lot of people swarmed these pages and – as somebody who runs a website myself, y- you get paid for your advertising by the number of right. people who click on that page. So if you get well, of people coming to your page, you actually made a couple of grand that month maybe if you're lucky. You know, so you never I knew you were going to make so much money off it, of it. But, uh, but media yep. shouldn't be doing this because media is feeding the lie in essence by right. putting up these fake polls.
1: And instead you have these these Russian
4: Southerners who are pro-America. Russian Southerners, exactly. <laughs> well, hey, the so way this election's been going, you know, with uh, Trump defending Vladimir Putin, I, you know, I don't, I grew up during the Soviet years. I don't know what the hell's going on now, you know. Yeah,
1: John, you and I are of a similar age, you know. Did you we are. Ever, did, you, did you ever think that you, you – I mean, you are Xers as much as you can be. you ever think that in the age we grew up in with the evil empire and all this stuff that there would be a Republican candidate standing up? And really every time the issue of Russia is brought up, he defends them. He never lets it go. Even yeah. in, the, in the debate either. It could be China. It could be whatever. Well, the FBI yeah. is saying pretty clearly it's, it's Russia, but he still defends them. It's amazing.
4: It, you know, it's amazing, and it's starting to scare the hell out of me in terms of all the discussion that we've had now about the concerns about this guy, Carter Page, who's one of Trump's foreign policy advisors. He was one of the five people that Trump mentioned back in March when, when people were doubting his foreign policy credentials. And they said, well, Mr. Trump, can you name your foreign policy aides? And he said, of course. And number two or three was this Carter Page guy. Well, Page has made a little bit of a history of himself of going to Moscow and criticizing the U.S. while defending Moscow. Criticizing U.S. human rights, the U.S. isn't an example of you know anything. We sh- we don't have the right to criticize Putin. This kind of crazy talk, and, right. and and then he met the guy. He met the guy who went on to be in charge of all the Russian intelligence dealing with the U.S. election. Trump Wait, see, this this is what gets me. This been in touch with. This is me, right? Oh, and the media. Is the, the house. I should have warned you. We had a little bit of that going on here at some point. Um, that's okay. Putin,
1: I mean, that's what gets me, John. Like. The media, they, they, like, that story has still been barely covered. I can still remember Bob Dornan getting up in 1991 or so and talking about Bill Clinton's trip to Oxford, when he was in Oxford, his trip to Moscow. Oh, that's right. And how he had to be a communist and all this sort of yeah. stuff. And that was all over the news because, oh, my God, Bill Clinton might be a communist. And, <laughs> and and this guy literally has met with the person who's in charge of doing these things, hacking into us, I guess. Um and well it's not the, the uh, only
4: one. I mean, right. We knew about Manafort who was Trump's uh the former head of the campaign well First yes. we had Corey, then we had Manafort, and now we've got Kelly. There have been a lot of heads of the campaign in the last three months, but the guy before Kelly, who who also had extensive contacts with the Russians through his work in the Ukraine, helping the Russian puppets there, um, he finally leaves. Then we've got, well, and again, you're, you're, I think probably your audience knows better than most. You know Trump making all these crazy comments about how we're not going to support NATO and uh, appearing on the Russian propaganda network, just crazy stuff that well, right, right, and American the former Putin's DIA fellow, guy. President. Right. Yeah, let alone yeah, it a Republican. I mean, right. I'm the former DIA guy Republican. Flynn,
1: right? Is he a general Admiral? I can't think. He's a general, right? Flynn, who worked for the DIA. Oh DIA, yeah, Michael Flynn. He's sort of a yeah. He's a nut. And he's yelling over. You know, he's, he's seen oh. he yell a lot. He hates Hillary. he Loves Trump. He went to like the celebration of RT in Russia.
4: Sat down, oh, uh, he's even worse than that, Michael Flynn. And again, your, your listeners probably know this. Michael Flynn is the former head of Defense Intelligence for the U.S. Yep. He he ain't just nobody, and, and right. he went to Moscow last uh, November, or December or so. Has dinner at a big gala with Putin and Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate. They're sitting at Putin's table with him. That's how you know. That's how cozy they were getting at this big dinner celebrating Russian propaganda. It was just. It's again. It is. Oh God! You know Ronald Reagan would be rolling in his grave. You know I was a I Republican back in the day. Actually, I was. Well, uh, actually, no, I know we're having the, the
1: while the we're office. having this conversation because I said to people that you are in what I consider to be quite an amazing expert. I, you've run so many digital campaigns. I think you pioneered some of that when when things were, when blogs were first being launched a decade, decade and a half ago. But. You also, you, you know, you did foreign policy in the Senate for Ted Stevens way back. I mean, you're a foreign yep. policy guy by, by training,
4: yep. right? Yep, and So so you know, I've always been somebody who's, uh, I hate to say, uh, people always try to make the word hawkish sound bad nowadays on the Democratic side, and I always say, no, <laughs> you yep. can be strong on defense and a Democrat. And, yeah, I, I was never a big fan of the Soviets, and I'm not a big fan of the Russians now,
1: you know. Well, I, I feel pretty much the same way. And so, yeah. yeah, you see, and the one other thing I'll add, just so people know for context, Michael Flynn's been asked if he's being paid by RT, and he refuses to answer the question. So, Ooh, there's that's that. interesting.
4: That's yeah. interesting. So, yeah, okay. So, no, we got. Go ahead. It's a freaky campaign.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is a freaky. So we know we've got the uh, we've got the the Russian support. It's pretty clear. It's pretty broad. Yeah. You've got these online accounts. Do you know Adrian yes. Chen? You said was the reporter. Why was he following those accounts to begin with?
4: Do you know? I you know, uh, he was investigating all I mean he was he's been investigating all of this. I read something again about him the other day and he was talking about he he just sort of made Well, he's somebody who's into the issue. So about a year or two or more than a year ago, he started following, trying to identify all these Russian troll accounts. And then once he found them, kept them in a database, and would check back. I mean, it's really brilliant. You know, Uh, I I tried to do some of that, and it's really quite hard. You know, after writing about uh, uh, Jill Stein, the Green candidate, going to Moscow and putting out just a horrific statement, again, criticizing the U.S. on human rights and saying not a word about Russia, not a word.
1: So for all of you thinking of voting for Jill Stein instead of Hillary Clinton... Be listening right now. Yeah, great. go
4: ahead. You know, so I write about Jill Stein. What happens the next day? I get all of these trolls on my blog in the comment section. People I've never seen before, and I swear to you, half of them had Russian accents. As a as a writer, I mean, as a professional writer, you can tell accented English. You could, well, you just can, right? And it's the right. kind of thing where you know they're missing the word the. You know, where it should be yep. there. You know, things where literally if you read it like Moose and Squirrel, Boris and Natasha, it would it would sound correct. But we right. we absolutely had some Russian trolls descending. Even my even my managers of my comments told me they said, I think these guys are Russian. You know, but but it's very hard to track them down because they they present themselves as Americans, even though you just look at it and go. You know, well, actually, part of the problem too is even an accent doesn't prove they're foreigners because we have immigrants here, of course. <laughs> you know, right? No, but,
1: true. But you could tell. But sometimes, guys, when smoke, <laughs> it's, it's a, sometimes when there's a lot of smoke, it's it's a. Sorry. They said sometimes when there's a lot of smoke. Hey, listen, John, we got to go to a break. Let's come back and continue this discussion, also about online hate groups. back one final time this afternoon this is Cliff Schechter I'm filling in for Leslie Marshall on the Leslie Marshall show thank you for listening folks we're talking with digital strategist John Aravosis. John are you with us I am excellent,
4: excellent.
1: Um, <laughs> so we left things off about uh, some of these these uh, these bots we, we were calling we we're talking about these Russian uh uh, bots that come in on Twitter, uh, come in on Twitter, and, and advocate for uh, the Russians. They, you know they're, they're showing up in comment sections, attacking Hillary. I mean, I want to move over just a little bit and talk about some of the hate sites because you know not everybody knows your history here, but you were you've been a pretty important gay rights activist who I would say back in the early 2000s when you started America Blog. I mean, I remember you running campaigns that started on your site and ended up in, in major newspapers and really everywhere that forced. I mean, I'm trying to remember now. Was it Ford? Was it you know, companies that 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 had discriminatory policies to change them? Um, so yep. you've been you go ahead, John, you've been following some of the hate yep. for a while. And uh, this, is, I think, is a bit of a continuation of that. What are you seeing out there?
4: Yeah, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about was something I've been investigating a lot recently, which has been uh, hate hate online, especially hate on Twitter. But what's interesting, and this is something disconnected from the Russians, this is, it's homegrown, but it's also international. You know, in the same way that we've seen a growth in these movements on the far right in Europe, uh, and now in the U.S., uh, we're also seeing it online, but in a really scary way. You know, Twitter, since its beginning, Twitter always had a little bit of crazies on it. The last several years has gotten much worse. We are mm-hmm. seeing the uh, the alt-right, which you know I'm sure you've talked about on your show before, but basically yeah. this sort of, you know, cool, new, they think they are, cool, new, hip, white supremacists that sometimes embrace neo-Nazis, but not always. You know, they, do, they definitely hate Jews. They definitely uh, have a problem with women. They definitely have a problem with anybody who isn't white. Uh, but they're not always Nazi. Uh, the alt-right groups online are growing in strength. The studies have shown they're getting much more radical in just the last year alone. You know, they used to mention Jews occasionally, uh, the Washington Post just did a study, used to mention Jews occasionally earlier this year. Now, it's it's with much more virulence. Uh, there's concerns about them getting violent. They are going, I've been tracking up a number of Jewish reporters with, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, going after these people on a regular basis, calling them the most violent, and out of the blue, I mean, just getting all your yep. friends to call these reporters. Reporters, all sorts of insults. Send them pictures of Auschwitz. Send them pictures of themselves in a Nazi oven. Uh, Julia Eoff, a reporter with uh, yep. well, a number of outlets, including the Times, did a profile on Melania Trump in uh, GQ that some of your folks may have may have seen this summer. The alt-right didn't like it. so they started And she came here from Russia, Russia,
1: too, right? She was an emigre.
4: She's a, no, I don't. That's a really interesting question. I did not know that because she's a, she's a Russian expert by far. Yes. I think she would, but it doesn't matter. I just find that interesting. That's all. Go ahead. Okay. So she's probably she may be from a Russian Jewish family. Then, yeah, I think she is. Julia. Julia was getting has been getting phone calls. These people started online and then they went off. Phone calls at home with Hitler's of recordings of Hitler on the line. They they just the other day sent a package to her sis to her little sister at her home. I mean, this kind of crazy. That's just. Um. It. It is. It is incredible. I mean, I cannot tell people enough how vile this is. I've been on the receiving end, and I'm not even Jewish. And I've been on the receiving end, and you get just this inundation of people basically threatening you. Some of them threatening to kill you, and it really starts to freak you out. And they know it. Does. Yeah, uh, I've you know, say, I've gotten a few. of this, You know, systems, really,
1: I've never gotten right? it as badly as some of these. Uh, you know, I've heard what Julia was getting. Another ironic one is Kurt Eichenwald, who's written some great pieces who happens to be Episcopalian. He has the name Eichenwald, so they assume he's Jewish, and they've right. done the same thing with him. Um, right. But, uh, you know, right. I haven't i haven't gotten anything as extensive them, but, yeah, I'll get something here and there yeah. that will be either threatening or you should die or, you know, and it's just, right. ugh. You know, I feel so it's, sorry no, for Julia yeah, and others. You know, and
4: the, part of the problem has been that Twitter really hasn't responded to it. Twitter often gives these guys either timeouts. You know, they cut out, they freeze their account for half a day, or they may close down the account. But then these guys just go and create other accounts. Um, you know, I've got one guy who's been deleted repeatedly by Twitter. Recently, he's called for Hillary to die. He went after another New York Times reporter and threatened to you know burn him in an oven. I mean, it's just. It, it, and I think actually what's most troubling, to me, it's hard to say what's most troubling, there's so many right. different parts, but a lot of these are, some of them are real, some of them are the alt-right. Okay? Some of them are this new far-right that's really scary, you know, way, way more conservative than anything any of us grew up with. But some of it is young kids who think it's cool. And right. there's a very large element in the alt-right of young kids who simply, what the cool kids do is they beat up Jews and blacks and women and gays online. You know, when I was a kid, that was not what the cool kids did. People were bullied and stuff, but we didn't form little clubs to go pick on Jews and and, you know, tell them we're gonna burn them in ovens and stuff. That that's like other level of messed up and what some of the studies are concerned about is that is literally the process of radicalization that you start to desensitize people not even just desensitize you're almost sensitizing them you're getting them more and more enraged and what what ends up happening is the the, the fringe of these people go the next step and start to turn violent and that's a lot of concern and it just it's it's messed up
1: and i think it should be Uh, you're 100 right because you see this in any area where sort of a radical group takes over Right. Whether it's a whether it's a Al Qaeda type group in certain parts of the Middle East starts spreading this kind of propaganda, whether it's Donald Trump unleashing neo-Nazis, you know, whatever it may be, um, they they start hearing these people use, you know, the language uh, over the top language is acceptable as putting putting down other races suddenly becomes a more acceptable thing to do. And, And as you said, you start getting to a point when you when Donald Trump's leading cheers of, you know, put Hillary in prison and stuff like that. It really isn't that many steps or saying maybe the Second Amendment people can take care of that. It's not that many steps. It's very few steps from that to somebody who's insane actually doing something.
4: Well, you know, and we've even – I've got one guy in particular, I mean a lot of them, but one guy in particular who – Um, Over a month ago, went off on uh, talking about we need to kill Hillary, Bill, uh, you know, both Clintons, both Obamas, members of Congress, George Soros. He named all these people and kept saying, why isn't anybody killing them? We need to kill them. I reported this guy to Twitter, as did a bunch of my readers, because we were all like, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, it's bad enough to be sort of a jerk, but that's fine. (laughs) But you don't go threatening to kill presidents and former presidents and things that is a big crime in america it crosses the line for all of us twitter did nothing about this guy's account he was up for a month he finally himself deleted the tweets because he was getting so much bad press because i wrote about him but his account right. is still live today after threatening to kill all of these people i mean it That's is insane we've we've and again i don't know what it is we've we're in sort of a new dynamic where things that were not okay several years ago have suddenly become okay and that it worries me not just for kids but even, as you're saying, for all of us. I think, you know, everyone hates the Nazi example. We don't have to go there, okay? But it, but there is something historical about how countries slowly become more and more you know, sort of evil and doing things they never thought they would do and how right. it's a gradual process that nobody sees. And that's right. what worries me with what's going on. It's this gradual process. And and that, these... that we never would have accepted yep. where we are now five years ago.
1: That's right. And the institutions become degraded in these countries and more susceptible You know, I mean, a classic example is what happened, you know, the press not doing its job and sort of acting like the things, you know, the few things that are a problem for for Donald Trump are are very similar to what's wrong with Hillary. Um, And then and then the Republican Party not doing its job and not allowing itself over the last decade to become so radicalized. I mean, it's not just Trump, Ted Cruz. These guys are talking about baby parts. And then a guy goes in and shoots up a Planned Parenthood. I mean, this is not – well, in any case, John, we're about to to, uh, get kicked off the radio. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on, and we'll have you on again in the future. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Cliff. Appreciate it. Take care, buddy.